Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of Jackson Talks, everybody. Um, with me, your host, Jackson Stone. And uh, I'm pretty fired up for uh, today's episode. Um, I feel like I got a pretty like-minded guy that I'm about to talk with. Um, we met, um, I don't even know, maybe a few years ago because of pro wrestling. Um, but that'll probably be the least, the, the smallest thing we talk about on today's episode will be pro wrestling. I'm sure we'll mention it and what's going on with the current climate. Um, but my guest today is, uh, is Mick Drake. He's, uh, he's a lawyer, pro wrestler, um, currently getting his, uh, master's degree at Columbia University. Um, but my favorite part of his Twitter bio is that optimism is his jam. So I'm fired up to talk to him. Um, what's up, dude? How are you? I'm, I'm great, Jackson. It's so great to see you. And I see you sipping your coffee, man. That makes me so happy to see you still on the coffee bandwagon. Yeah, dude, I just made a latte. So I'm, I, it's even more special today. I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. I'm great, man. Things are good. It's a it's a weird time right now with COVID and quarantines and masks. But um, you know, I'm I'm looking at things, controlling what I can control, and things are good, man. Uh, overall, things are good for me. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, it is a very interesting time, but I think it's a super important time as well. You know, a yeah. lot of you know, so just a lot of things need to happen, and I think change is being made, which is cool. Um, but I don't know. Just give me your thoughts, like thoughts on, on the current situation and just overall in general, how you've been handling things. And I think it's 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 tough because uh, I know for me, especially when this first started, I would always think like, OK, what has this done to my life? And a lot of the things that I've worked towards over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. So wrestling, for example, right? It's I've spent so much time and blood and sweat and money and so much of my life in wrestling. And now because of Corona, because of COVID, it's all kind of gone. And so I'm like, at least temporarily, right? Because we know that everything is temporary. That's one of the, one of the themes that I'm sure you've talked about on the show before is how everything is temporary. Um, and so I was getting frustrated initially, like, oh, man, like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, and, and you just start spiraling, right? Because it's like, oh, my job scene is going downhill. My wrestling is going downhill. Relationships going downhill. Like, bam, like everything starts spiraling. And I noticed that when I was able to kind of step back, take a second and be like, hold up. You know, I can't judge myself for what I'm doing now based on the world that we were in before Corona, right? Mm -hmm. I can only do that and i can only chase dreams goals objectives um whatever it is that i want within the confines of the current world that we're in right now and know that you know that old world will come back in some some way shape or form eventually um so that was kind of a struggle that i initially kind of felt myself feeling was hey recognize that things are a little bit different right now so you need to kind of change and adapt yourself to the way things are now and kind of redefine what you look at as success uh, within the confines of where we are now. So that was something that I kind of kind of struggled with initially when this whole thing started. <clears throat> Interesting. Was that solely based like was, was wrestling at the point where coronavirus hit for you? Is that something that was kind of taking off or were you finally kind of getting recognized for some some of your talents over such a long period of time or? Or was just like other life stuff just in general? No, it's, you know what? The funny thing is it was a combination of all of it. So uh, on the wrestling side, you know, I think you've known, I've been kind of around the Indies for, for a pretty, pretty long time now. 
Um, but really it was in the last two years that I kind of started getting that, you know, you kind of hate your stride where it's like, hey, Nick's in Portland, he's in Chicago, he's in Florida, he's in New York, right? Um, and last year I was actually recruited by an EVP at WWE with someone who I was tag teaming with at the time, Devin Driscoll, to kind of come down to the PC, do some talent evals, do some consulting, um, kind of get a sense of, of what they're doing and kind of help with the uh, eventual, and this is this is not proprietary, this is public, they've talked about this. You know, the goal was always to expand NXT global. Um, and, you know, the locations are, are TBD, were TBD, but that was kind of something that I was going to be, hopefully, be a part of. Um, and, of course, you know, with this, that gets all kind of put on pause. Um, and there are other factors at play in terms of TV rights deals and things that kind of had, had slowed the train on that a little before that. Uh, and then I was recruited also by the NWA to kind of work on their office side stuff, but also ring side stuff. And that was really exciting because that's kind of like a startup, right? It's not an established uh, property in the same way that a WWE or an AEW is. It's a company that's creating content. It's very unique. Uh, and it's content that eventually could be sold to a TV rights platform or an OTT, like a streaming service. Uh, so that was really exciting. But again, because of Corona, that kind of got all placed on hold. So I was like, okay, these things are, are on hold now. And then, um, you know, you mentioned in my, another part of my life, I'm an attorney. And, you know, when courts close, cases slow down, um, you know, so we had to kind of deal with some cases disappearing, some finances changing. Uh, so my job was kind of redefined a little bit. Um, you know, I'm very, very blessed, very lucky. Um, I recognize that in a lot of ways that, that a lot of people are not and a lot of people are struggling right now. Um, but I, I took a little bit of a hit. So so that that certainly certainly hurt a little. And then, you know, me, you know that I'm a really social guy. I like to be out there and uh, be around friends and go on dates and hit up you know, shows and theater and uh, museums and events and talks and that kind of stuff. And all that's really gone, right? Especially living in New York City. So much of that is so uh, important to the experience of being in Manhattan. And all that stuff is kind of gone. So it was kind of like the not just a one-two punch. It was like a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight punch. Uh, and then gyms are closed. And you know, I love love working out. I love throwing my medicine balls and yeah. doing crazy jumps. And, you and, know, breaking, glass jumps. and breaking glass in your gym. Yeah, that day, it's a, it's a miracle. I, I threw a med ball one day and a, a band broke that was attached to me and it snapped back and shattered a window on the second floor in NoHo, which is a, a pretty nice neighborhood in Manhattan. So it's a, it's a miracle they never kicked me out of the gym. Um, they still let you work out there? They still let me work out there. I actually told them what they should have done is put that on their social media. And, you know, that would have, that would have blown up for them a little bit and been like, yeah. hey, we're, we're at a hardcore gym. Look, look at us. Yeah, you could um, smash yeah, windows and stay. Exactly. But, but you know, like the gym was kind of my refuge too. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was gone. Now, I was super lucky in the sense that I saw this coming and I bought a little bit, little bit of equipment. I was lucky enough to get my hands on it and be able to afford it. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden, all of the things that you love and have worked for and are looking at, um, you know, engaging with on a regular basis are gone. And you have to kind of, I don't want to say find yourself because if you don't know who you are, that struggle is going to be like really, really uh, much more difficult than it is. You know, I'm very lucky in that I'm very comfortable with who I am and 
know who I am. So I don't look at myself as defined by all these things, even though I like to do. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's something that people need to keep in mind during this time. Yeah, so there's there's a, a kind of a theme that I talk about a lot on this podcast. Because always when someone was struggling, whether it's whether it's something they're struggling with in their in their daily life or just like inside their head or just things, right? We always want to uh, compare ourselves to other people, right? And I tweeted this the other day, like comparison is the thief of joy, right? Because we're comparing everything what we have to other people, and so it's in this coronavirus situation, it's it's very hard to think about ourselves and say, okay, I'm actually, a lot of stuff has been taken away from me. Um, I'm not doing well. But then we think about everyone else who may be doing worse. And then we, we forget that our own feelings are real and that we can't really have the capacity or space for other people unless we really focus and internalize what we're going through. And so, I mean, you can definitely hear in your voice, right? You're saying like how grateful you are still and how lucky you are, but you're also understanding the things that you've lost. So you're able to still kind of move forward with that, with the kind of different changes that, that the world has presented you. So I think that's interesting. And it's also really good on you. I think you have to do that, right? Like, I think it's unhealthy for you to just, you know, people will say gratitude is super important. And I agree with that. But if you channel gratitude and then do not confront the feelings you have of, you know, fear or inadequacy or um, uh, imposter syndrome or anything like that, you're kind of just putting that on the background, right? Like you can do both. You can be grateful for where you are and what you have and where you think you're going and also acknowledge at the same time that, hey, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I want to improve. This is where I need to make some time for myself and process things. I think that's actually the best way to do it. Absolutely. Um, and it's and it's hard too, right? Like it's it's work to do that. Um, it's much easier to just kind of like, you know, put it out of your mind and be like, well, it is what it is. Well, yeah, but how do you feel about it? Right. Like that's that's healthy and normal. And I think a lot of guys too, um, you know, I don't want to generalize, but men especially kind of get into this mindset where they think that this kind of thing is feminine or it's not like what a real man does, but that's just what a human being does, right? Like it's normal. You should have these emotions and feelings. Yeah. The, um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty heavy in the, in the mental health space these days, um, which has been pretty, and pretty incredible journey for me so far. But, uh, the, the idea of the, the toxic masculinity is, uh, is very important one, right? Because, you know, I mean, I wasn't taught that growing up, but a lot of people were taught that growing up that you just, you got to hide your feelings. You can't cry. You can't show anyone that you're weak. There's no reason to ask for help. If you got to take care of your family, it's got to be all on you. And and all these things are just like, I mean, they're just basically point and blank. They're wrong. Like, this is not how it should be. Like a real, I want to say, I'm going to use quotation marks, man, because there's a, a large definition and many different variations of what that could be and what that could entail about someone who takes care of their family or goes to work every day or just, you know, random everyday things that make you a, a fucking human being. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're really struggling and you need help, asking for help is a bigger sign of strength than you just like trying to carry all this weight by yourself. And I think that's a huge, I think that's a huge important factor for us, you know, because especially in the kind of profession we're in as pro wrestlers, like everyone wants to come off as like this macho, tough guy, super badass. And I'm just like, 
I'm really competitive and I know I'm a good athlete, but I'm also very into my feelings and emotions. And if I'm having a bad day or a rough day, you can tell and you can, that's okay for me because I feel like it's okay to have a bad day and to struggle. Um, and a lot of men, I think you need to understand that. And so, I mean, just us having the conversation about it, if any other guys are listening, they're going to feel more open about having a, a bad day or struggling or telling them someone how they feel because they're seeing two guys who work out, lift weights, do a macho profession, again, quotes. Um, uh, and they're going to feel more comfortable with that. So I think already opening up the conversation is the most important thing. But, yeah. And, and I don't think they're – I think you're right. Those things are not mutually exclusive, right? Like being a confident, strong, quote-unquote, man and having – feelings or asking for help or dealing with emotions or processing, you know, a lost friendship or a breakup or, or anything like that. Those are not mutually exclusive. Like you can and should be willing to do both. And I think too many times people, you know, e even now we saw, we see it in some places with the mask stuff, right? Where people are mm -hmm. saying, you know, there's a global pandemic and people are going, Oh, well, don't wear a mask. Like, real men don't need to wear a mask. Um, because it makes you look like a girl, which, and there's a whole nother, that's a whole nother can of worms. Like, you know, the look like a girl as if being a girl is something detrimental or there's something negative associated with it when that's not true. Um, but this whole mindset of, Hey, you shouldn't wear a mask because a real man doesn't wear a mask because he's tough and he doesn't care and he doesn't you know give, give a flying whatever. I look at that and I think, man, you know what a real man does? A real man has empathy for other people and compassion. Like those are, those are signs of strength, right? Of saying, you know what? I care about other people. So even though wearing this makes me a little uncomfortable, I'm going to do it because it's going to make the lives of other people around me better. I think personally, to me, that's more a sign of strength than being able to bench 225, 35 times, which I can also do. Um, <laughs> I, I had to throw that in there i'm sorry i'm sorry no no i, I you weren't going to be able to talk 100%. to me for an hour without me putting myself over you know that no i i, I would love for you to talk about yourself please <laughs> i think very highly of you and i think you think very highly of you as well <laughs> well I, I do but and i think there's a you know we're we're half joking but also there is a line between confidence and arrogance, right? And healthy confidence and unhealthy confidence. Oh yeah, I have There's, this. I have this, written, have this written down in my notes. So oh, we're going to get yeah. into this for sure. Oh well, that, well then, I'll, then, I'll, then I'll pause it for now. Anyway, I'll yeah, save it, it. Save it. We're on the same. We're on the same vibe though. That's good. We're on the same wave. But yeah, we. Uh, I mean, we we uh, we exchanged some tweets back and forth about empathy. I, think I tweeted something about like. Empathy is finally becoming something that's like a really sexy, attractive trait. And uh, you said it's always has been. And it's true. It always has been. But now it's, it's becoming people are talking about it more. And it's becoming more of a thing that, you know, more people strive to have and should have. Because well, you're saying socially and culturally, it's becoming more accepted, which I agree right. with. Right. That, that's what I, I should have said. You know, to me, it's always been that way. But, you know, culturally and socially, especially here in the U.S., we kind of look at it as, you know, that's not really manly right a man just goes to work and you know uh, bottles up his feelings and kind of pushes that that down and doesn't you know put that out and i think you're right i think culturally and socially it's slowly starting to become more and more acceptable and people are seeing that you know if men don't uh confront these feelings and 
aren't uh, open and honest with this. It actually ends up harming them and their partners and kids and and families and, and neighborhoods in the long run. Yes. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Like you hit it right on the you hit it right on the nail. Like if we're not if we're not handling our own emotions and feelings, then it's either going to be portrayed going to portray outward on the people that we love the most, and we're going to hurt the people we love the most, whether it be our spouse, our kids, or sadly, we're going to end up you know ending our own lives, which a lot of men are doing way too often. Um, and so, if we can open up the conversation there, then it's going to save lives. Like. That's not a that's not a false statement. That's not like saying this broad thing. That's like a real this having a conversation with a male with your male friend about how they feel, really how they feel, can save their life. So if we can be the reason for that, I think that's incredible and very impactful. So And you probably you probably noticed this too. You know, I noticed in the last couple of years as I've become more aware of this, you know, if I just send a text to a, a guy friend who I'm not, you know, generally very open with in terms of having those kinds of conversations or has it been in the past? And I just say, hey, man, like, how are you feeling about this? Or how are you feeling today? Or how are you feeling X? People, people want to open up, right? Like they want to open up. They want to be honest. They want to kind of let this out. And it's really, it's really shameful, I think, that we've kind of culturally for so long made that a thing where, hey, you need to feel shame for feeling emotions and, and for, for having these feelings. And I think it's great that now that's changing. Yeah. Yeah. Slowly but surely it's changing for sure. <clears throat> Shame is such a powerful tool, right? But it's, it's the wrong way to go about bringing change, right? You can easily shame someone or make fun of them. It's like the mask situation. Like I can shame you and make fun of you for not wearing a mask, but it's not going to make you want to put on a mask. But if I tell you really and hold you accountable as to why you should be wearing a mask, it might lead to real change. But that accountability factor is a lot harder than just saying, hey, dude, fuck you, you're not wearing a mask. Like, that's not going to make him want to put on a mask, though. But if maybe I have a conversation with him and try to hold him accountable, then he might go home. Maybe he looks at his kids or his friends and he's like, oh, okay, maybe I want to keep them safe. I care about them. I care about other people. Let's wear a mask for 20 minutes while I'm in Walmart. That's, uh, you know, you hit one of the the concepts and themes that I feel very, very strongly about when you mention accountability. Um, Bren Brown, who's a, she's a professor, she's a speaker, um, she, she's written books. Uh, she's written one of my favorite books. It's called Dare to Lead. And she's she amazing. That, she's amazing. She's amazing. And she says that leadership is accountability. Um, and, you know, in her book, she's talking about it with respect to being in the workplace, right? Whereas you're in the office and, and if you really want to improve performance for people and you wanna show them that they can be better and do better, you have to make sure that you're holding yourself accountable for successes, failures, uh, things that need to be improved on, et cetera. But that's really something that you should be doing in life too, right? So leadership and life is accountability, whether that's um, your professional goals, like if we want to be wrestlers and you want to be big, strong, and jacked, well, you need to hold yourself accountable by going to the gym and eating right. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to date someone and have a healthy relationship and you're not communicating things clearly and you know things start to fray, well, you need to hold yourself accountable for that and fix it or or learn. From it. So I think I think accountability is really really important um, with where we're at today. It's huge. And uh, I mean, I think it's a good segue to speak on accountability 
because in in the wrestling we just had the whole currently still i don't know whatever but the speaking out movement right and uh the only way to create real positive change from all these stories that were told which first off takes a lot of courage and vulnerability which is another thing Brene brown talks about vulnerability which is a beautiful thing um to talk about was probably one of your most painful experiences in your life um so i thank all those people for doing that um but the only really reason to thank those people for sharing their stories is to hold now every single wrestler and promotion and company accountable for actually making safer healthier happier environments for wrestlers and fans alike yeah and i think that you know to me that means more than you know putting out a the right pr statement i need to see action from you and this is it's it's interesting that this happened at the same time that a lot of the uh, police brutality black lives movement kind of protests and and concerns went more mainstream i don't want to say they weren't before but just in terms of visibility and more and more people being on the side of saying that we need to embrace racial justice in this country that 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 number definitely went up recently um and you know a lot you you saw a lot of and this is me my columbia uh grad school kind of branding brain going off you saw a lot of these companies put out statements saying we stand with black lives matter we stand on the side of racial justice and improving policing community policing etc and for the first time you kind of saw this pushback from people where they would say hey you put out a pr statement that's great but what are you actually doing what substantive actions are you taking to show us that you support this because if you don't then we're not going to support you with our wallets or or our attention and you saw this uh there's a con a great contrast and I, I did a little bit of case study in this in in one of my classes nike if you remember mm -hmm. put out a fantastic statement and said hey this is this is our statement this is what we believe in here's what we're doing we're putting x amount of money towards this program x amount of money towards that program x amount of money towards this program over the next 10 years you know, we hope to improve community relations and 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 whatnot and their statement was very good whereas the nfl roger goodell then put out a statement you know i think it was one paragraph or two sentences just saying you know we stand with black lives matter and we support protest and uh, uh peaceful protest and and that's it and you know the nfl obviously has some baggage there um because there's some there there's pre-existing uh, uh factors in play there right um, there is a a very credible uh accusation to be made that the league throws out colin kaepernick um mm -hmm. which you know we could have we could spend an hour and a half on on that um but you know, people, the, the bottom line is they made that statement and people saw it as very tone deaf and very um, uh, see-through, right? Because they said, okay, that's great. You're supporting it. What are you actually going to do? Right. Um, so I think to bring it back to your, your point of speaking out in wrestling, every company kind of has to say, you know, when they're confronted by these issues or, or even if they're, they're not, um, just by, by virtue of being in the industry, right? It's something that they need to address. Um, they need to say, hey, listen, we hear you, we see your bravery, we see your um, concerns. This is what we are going to do moving forward. And some companies have been very good at that. Um, 
some have not, and some have kind of been in the middle ground. Um, we have to kind of see. I, I wonder, I do wonder how this would have played out if we were in a world where shows were going on on a regular basis, as opposed yeah. to, you know, basically wrestling being on pause outside of um, the major national companies that still have television television. Yeah, because it would have been very hard to enact real adequate change if a wrestling company was doing, if we were going every weekend like we normally would be, you know? So I think, uh, obviously, I think change comes out of great, great adversity. And obviously, we're in great adversity right now, kind of collective trauma, collective adversity. And so that's when change usually happens. And I still think it, it's not really a coincidence that a lot of these movements are happening during a time of COVID-19 because, you know, people have time to think and process and they want to, and they want to see change and they want to be change and they want to be about something important in history. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's actually the perfect time for something like this to happen in indie wrestling. Cause then when we do come back full throttle, the shows are actually safe. They're actually good. You know, people are taking care of one another. You know, when we see something shit, we can actually talk about it and not just be like, ah, I'm going to get heat or, I don't want to lose a booking. That's so dumb. That that the stuff like that never was like something that I thought about because like I don't know. I just came from a different background and like you know if I saw something that I thought was wrong or not good, I was going to say something about it. And I wasn't afraid about losing an indie wrestling booking because to be honest, it ain't that deep. And so uh, <laughs> you're 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 right. I I do I do think that. I think you're right that if we were in a time where people were running shows week to week, I think this would have lost some of the um, impact that it did have just by virtue of it being a part of the, uh, the, the churn of, of, of the day, right? Which is not to say that it's insignificant in any way, shape, or form, but just in terms of people's attention spans would have been short, um, which is, which is, horrible because your attention span should reflect the intensity and severity and merits of what somebody's putting out there, especially when it's something yeah. as traumatic and difficult as um, some of the things people put out in, in speaking out. Um, but I think that because we have this break and people have done this work on themselves and courageously put these things out there, it has given us an opportunity to kind of reevaluate, hey, is this okay? Is this not okay? Um, and frankly, I hope I hope that it makes independent wrestling uh, a better place for everyone. I know that you know the thing about the bigger companies, especially you know if one is publicly traded or one has a national TV rights deal, is there are corporate concerns there too. Where even if there is no morality, right? And I'm not saying there there isn't, right? A lot of there are a lot of good people that work for a lot of these big companies who care about these issues and want to make sure that they have safe, inclusive, and healthy environments for their talent and fans. But even if they weren't there, just purely from a financial standpoint, it is not good for business to have these kinds of things um, happening in your industry, right? It's not something that is good for advertising. It's not something that's good for TV rights fees. So you know, on the larger scale, I'm optimistic that that combined with the existing morality of people who are there will be able to make 
make some lasting change. Um, on the smaller scale, you know, on the indie scale, I am a little bit worried that things are going to go back to normal um, sooner rather than later, but I hope I'm wrong. Um, I have seen encouraging signs and that does give me hope. You know, I'm an optimist. Um, and there are some promoters uh, who I respect a great deal who have put their foot down and said, hey, listen, if I hear about this kind of thing happening, that's it. You're done. Full stop. Uh, and that that makes me optimistic for the future because, you know, by and large, those promoters are the ones who have uh, independent brands worth recognizing. You know, right. I'll just to, just to, to, to name drop a few. I know that over at Freelance Wrestling, they care about their talent. They care about their fans. They are very, very passionate about making sure it's a safe, inclusive uh, and respectful environment for all involved. I know that in Florida, Ronin is the same way. Um, so there are people who have name value in independent wrestling who I'm confident are going to do the best they can to make sure that this movement is not, not lost to time. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And in, and in Texas, basically, uh, I mean, I don't want to say that I'm leading the charge, but I'm leading the charge, uh, in terms of making sure these companies and these shows, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, you know, I can't do everything right, but I can at least speak on what I see and speak on what I hear and, and make sure that we're actually trying to make real adequate change, you know, and it's, these changes don't happen overnight, right? These companies aren't made of money, so they can't just like all of a sudden I like have this new whole, you know, deal or whatever, but they can remove the people from the locker room and not associate with people who have been called out. That's one step that has to be made. No issue, no if, ands, or buts about that. Um, and just being more, you know, open and understanding and, and, you know, all these things. So in Texas, I think we're doing a, a, an okay job right now. We're moving in the right direction. Um, um, but I'm going to do my part on that regard. But again, we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I hope so. Um, you know, I know, I know there's a number of good people out there in Texas um, doing the, doing the same thing who would be on, on your bandwagon with you. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic that, that that's going to happen. And it's going to happen in, in pockets. It's going to happen slowly in, in independent wrestling. But the one benefit is that, you know, there is no John Cena or The Rock in independent wrestling. There's no one who is above, um, you know, their behavior being excused. Right. And that really shouldn't happen at, at even the highest levels. Um, you know, we know it does happen at the highest levels in, in all companies, you know, no matter their industry, unfortunately, um, especially in, in the, the entertainment industry. But the benefit to independent wrestling is there is no one that's at that level. So everyone can and should be held accountable. And if that's happening from the bottom, hopefully that's something that eventually migrates to the top as those people, people um, move up through their careers. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, 100% agree with you there for sure. Love it. Love to see it. <clears throat> All right. So I'm going to ask you a few questions about yourself. Wow. I, I get to talk about myself. I don't know if I'm, I'm ready for this. Do you think I, I can handle the talking about myself? Yeah. Don't, don't let your head get too big for the room. <laughs> All right. Shoot. Let's go. Um, uh, so you're, I, I mean, personally, I think that you're a hardworking guy. Um, 
is this something that you've always had or something that your parents instilled in you or like you had a mentor or like where did that where did the work ethic come from where did it start so i uh i grew up i was very lucky growing up um i don't i wouldn't consider myself rich but you know i i got new clothes every year for school i always got to go to tennis practice or if i wanted karate lessons i got that or play an instrument or or whatever i was very lucky in that respect um but i i don't think i really had that that work ethic a lot of people look at me and they kind of ask me like oh you're, you know your parents from india they must have instilled this work ethic in you i'm like dude i'm from new jersey like i <laughs> like i it's not the same thing as you know being the immigrant who comes from somewhere right like I'm the same as, as anybody else. Like I was, you know, born, born and, and brought up in New Jersey. It kind of started, I want to say, you know, when I was in high school, I was a pretty good basketball player. Um, and I got to college and I went to Rutgers for undergrad and I wanted to, they had open tryouts for the basketball team and Rutgers was D1 uh, and they had tryouts for walk-ons and there were maybe, you know, 400 kids, 350 kids who tried out. And I made it through like two, three days and I was one of the last like five or six people who were cut from it. Uh, and I was really disappointed. It was kind of the first time in, in my life I felt a tinge of regret because I was like, oh, man, you know, I took this more seriously in high school instead of goofing off. Like I could have played D1 basketball. You know, I never would have made it to the NBA or anything. But, you know, D1 is, is a pretty big deal. Huge, um, yeah huge so i remember being pretty disappointed about that and thinking man like this feels terrible like, having these regrets like what do i i don't ever want to feel this way again like what do i want to do with it? like and i started thinking about it and you know i thought about wrestling and i i kind of wanted to get into wrestling and, and i don't want to give you the full full long story but basically what i told myself when i started at this wrestling school was i was like listen if you're gonna do this you're gonna do this 500 percent 1000%. There will be nothing left on the table. There will be no, I should have worked harder. I could have worked harder. If you don't make it, it won't be because you didn't work hard enough or do enough on your end. Right. Um, and, and you can only in any endeavor, you can only do the 99%, right? 1% is timing and luck and fit and the universe. And, you know, you can call it divine or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but you can control that 99%. And so that's kind of where this mindset started for me. And I remember trying to look at people who were successful and take from them, hey, how did they get to this level from a mindset standpoint? And so I remember looking at, you know, a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant or a Tom Brady, because those are sports, right? That's very easy to make the connection, even though wrestling's not a sport as much as indie wrestlers would like it to be a sport it's not a sport um but there is a competitive aspect to it and a work aspect to it that is very real and so i started looking at these athletes and kind of thinking hey what can i take from them and put it into wrestling and then from there it kind of just flowed naturally into the rest of my life as i got older right it's like if i was going to do something i was going to do it. um if i wanted something i was going to go after that's kind of where this mindset came to fruition so in a lot of ways you know without wrestling i don't know that i would i would be here interesting yeah i mean it's it's funny it's funny how life puts us on a kind of 
kind of on a path that we didn't really expect and then we end up it ends up being pretty great um but is there like so when you started kind of realizing that you had this this mad work ethic and started putting all, all this effort into your life was there something was like besides athletes was there other things that you read or looked into on like personal development or like human development that like really caught your eye or like a book or a person that really like opened up the way you should think and feel and, and kind of put you on another path? Well, there's a number. I, oh, we could, I could go all day on, on books on, on personal growth and, and development, but there is a, you know, one that really stuck out to me is, and this is athlete adjacent is Tim Grover's relentless. And those who don't know, Tim Grover was Michael Jordan's trainer. He was Kobe Bryant's trainer. And then he was Dwayne Wade's trainer. And now he, uh, has a lot of corporate speaking engagements, you know, writes for Forbes, and his mindset stuff is really what kind of set me on this path. He talks about, um, you know, setting goals and wanting to go after them. It's, I don't want to say it's it's the secret, right? Because everybody's kind of read that, and that's a little bit of a cliche at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but it is very clear in the book, like, hey, you know, you have to be willing to embrace the dark side. You have to understand that in life, if there's something that you want, you have to go after it. And everyone around you, even people who support you, are going to constantly kind of put these little nuggets into your head of why it's not a good idea or why you shouldn't do it. And part of that is from a place of love, right? They're, they're worried about you being disappointed. But part of that and a large part of that is also people project their own insecurities and their own you know, inability to go mm -hmm. after something onto you, right? Because they can't imagine putting themselves in that position. They can't imagine um, going to a wrestling school, plunking down thousands of dollars, jumping around in a ring, uh, going to shows, getting paid next to nothing or nothing, um, and doing this because you're hoping and putting yourself in a position for some light at the end of the tunnel where the odds are so stacked against you. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they'll project that onto you in lots of ways like oh do you think this is really a good idea or oh i could never do that or, um and you have to recognize that and now the fun part is and, and he says this in his book is once you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel once you start to see a little bit of success from all of the work that you've done yourself all of a sudden your bandwagon starts to get heavier and heavier because people will say, "Oh, I always knew that you were you were gonna you were gonna do this." Um, so that's a that's that's one of the books that really kind of set me on this path. There's another one that I'll recommend. Uh, it's by Russ, the rapper, um, and it's called uh, "Get Out of Your Own Head." Mm -hmm. uh, and he talks about you know manifestation, and he talks about you know one of my favorite lines in that is where he says, "Trust the what." Fuck the when. Um, can I curse on this? I'm sorry. Yes. Um, I have a couple times already. <laughs> all right. So. I mean, we don't says, do it all the time, but we do it for emphasis. Well, that, and that's what's important. That's what's important. If you do it all the time, it loses its emphasis. Anyway, so he says, trust the what, fuck the when. If you know what you're going after and you're passionate about what you're going after, you can't worry about when it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Because the second you start to worry about when it's going to happen, or how it's going to happen, you're holding on to it too tight. And the universe kind of knows like, hey, when you're holding on too tight, you're not ready to receive this yet. So you need to just kind of sit back and let it come to you. 
Now that doesn't mean do nothing. You know, you do what you can, you control what you can, but you shouldn't have this feeling of anxiety about it. Um, so those are those are two of the books that that I really um, found super helpful. One that I'm reading right now, um, which I think is, uh, you know what? Let, let me pause that one. I'll give you that one at the end of the show, maybe. Um, okay. One more that I recommend for, for a lot of uh, listeners is called The Four Agreements. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I, ho- I hope we talk about this. It is phenomenal. Um, without without ruining it, there's you know four four agreements, so to speak, in the book. Um, you know, one of them is don't make assumptions. Um, one of them is is related to choosing your words carefully or, or using your words, um, and it is applicable to every stage of life. And whether mm-hmm. you are ten years old or a hundred years old or anywhere in between, or you're single, or you're married, or you're getting divorced, or um, your, your kids hate you, or your kids love it doesn't matter. Um, I think there are lessons in there that everyone can take away. And it's a fast read. It's you know maybe 100 pages, maybe 120 pages. Uh, I think it's phenomenal. 100, it's 100, 138 to be exact. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm glad you know that. Um, it's, I, just, it's, I, just, I just finished it, actually, like 20 minutes before we started this podcast. Okay. Well, so I actually like it so much that I, I'm at my parents' house in New Jersey right now and not in the city. I actually bought a copy just to keep here, to flip through. Um, that's how good it is. So I think you know those three books will give you a sense of your own personal development, how to go after whatever it is you want in life and be comfortable with the ups and downs that come with it, right? It's never a, people have this, when they don't think about it, people have this perception of success where they think it kind of looks like a linear acceleration, right? It looks like a graph like this. And the reality is it's messy, right? It's up and down and then it's down really, really low. And then it's up really high and then it kind of plateaus a little bit and then it's down again and it's up again. And if you read these books, you'll understand that that's all a part of the process, man. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have, I don't want to get, just keep, I could keep recommending books all day long, but there's one called No Mud, No Lotus, where he says, you know, you can't have joy without suffering because if you don't have suffering, you don't know what joy is. So like, right. these are points of reference. So, you know, if, if you're looking for, for books that are going to, you know, whether you want to be a pro wrestler or an actor or a lawyer or a doctor or a salesman, or you want to start your own business, whatever it is, these are books that when you read, they will give you a sense of, hey, this is the journey that I'm on. And along this journey, here's what I'm going to experience. Here's how to deal with it. And here's how to go through it in the healthiest way possible that makes me happiest throughout throughout this. Because life is the long game man like life is the long game it's not the day-to-day it's the long game yes brilliant so off of what you said i'm i uh i go back and forth about setting goals right because i have these intentions and these desires and like like kind of where like i'm i'm putting my mindset towards like where i want to go with my with my life and like what do i want to achieve But life, like you said, is so unpredictable so that if you – so like setting goals almost is, is kind of silly because like who knows like where – what pivots you're going to have to make, what ups and downs is going to happen 
to get to that end, end result. So I think like my question would be like, what's your take on setting like exact goals, but also kind of being open and open to everything and attached to basically nothing. So you raise a great point because if we're, we're sitting here, it's July of 2020. If we were sitting here in July of 2019 and I asked, you asked me what my goals were, I would tell you what my goals were. Um, and then if you told me, hey, listen, a year from now, for the better part of the first six months of the year, you're going to be stuck indoors with no gym, no wrestling. Um, your job is going to, going to change a little bit. Your school stuff's going to all be online. And a lot of these goals you've set are just not going to be possible to achieve. I would have thought you were insane. Like, there's no way that this is going to happen. Like, what, you know, what kind of horrible existence are you talking Here's my thing on, on goals. I think it's okay to set, you know, one or two big goals. Like, this is my long-term goal. This is where I want to be. I, goal may even be the wrong word for it because to me, it's you want to set a, a vision because a mm -hmm. vision is more pliable than a goal. When people talk about goals, they talk about, you know, what are SMART goals, right? Uh, strategic, time-based, uh, relative. Like, there's a whole... There's a whole school of thought on what a goal should be. But I think it's important to have one or two or one kind of vision of where you want your life to be or what you kind of want it to look like, something that you can also manifest. And then you take that and you can break it down into smaller, more achievable goals if you want. Because, you know, the only way you're going to reach the vision that you've put forth is if you're able to accomplish smaller goals along the way, because when you accomplish a smaller goal, you reinforce that, Hey, this vision is possible. This place I want to get to is possible. Um, with that said, especially in the world we are in now, you have to be willing to adapt. You cannot be so stringent in your goals. And that's really, you cannot be so, strict in life too in general but especially now because so much is in flux so if your goal was to wrestle wrestlemania weekend 2020 well that's not happening because there is no wrestlemania weekend 2020 so how are you going to adapt your your goal if your vision was to be a national professional wrestler okay well my goal of wrestling wrestlemania weekend 2020 didn't happen what is a small goal that in the world I'm in now, I can set and say, this will take me in some small way towards my vision. So I think you're right. You have to be willing to be adaptable mm -hmm. and pliable um, if you want to be successful. There is another, I hate to get into the books, but another book called Range, where he talks about uh, I think it's David Epstein who's written Range. And he talks about how the people who are super successful are not the ones who picked one field and specialized so intensely in that field. It's the people who have a breadth of general experience for a long time and then are able to find their way into their specialized field. Um, you know, in sports, a lot of people will tell you if you want to play a sport at a professional level, when a kid shows talent for that sport, you don't pigeonhole them into that sport. You know, like we know you're, you're a baseball player. 
you know, the year-round baseball thing was so detrimental for the long-term health and athletic performance of baseball players. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw this with people who play one sport year-round. They just get worn out. Whereas the greatest athletes are the ones who played five, six different sports and then picked their sport at 16 yep. cents. Um, so, you know, I think more now than ever, it's important to be adaptable and understand that just because you can't accomplish a goal now because external factors have changed, it doesn't mean you failed in that. In fact, part of being successful is being able to adapt to where you are in the moment and say, okay, this isn't working. Time to zig a little, time to zag a little. I think adaptability is super, super key right now. Yes. And, and failure too. Like, Failure isn't permanent defeat it never, it, unless you make it, unless you allow it to be. It can be permanent defeat. But failure is such an important part, right? Because if you fail, you're like, okay, take a step back. Why did this happen? You know, what caused me to fail? All right, cool. Now I'm going to make a few tweaks and I'm going to get back after it. <clears throat> Obviously, that takes a lot of like a lot of mindset and a lot of attitude to kind of realize that you failed. And be like, all right, what should I do? Because obviously we're in, it puts us in a bad spot because we failed at something and that's really difficult to do. But it's also really important. Um, I mean, I learned that just through baseball, like, because that's just a failure-driven sport. And so, like, for me in life, it was it's pretty easy for me to not be good at something and fail at it and be like, all right, well, whatever. I, I'm used to that. I did it for 17 years in baseball. I only got three hits out of 10 and someone told me I was good. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's keep it moving forward. Um <laughs> And, you know, failure is so important because there is no successful person who has ever not failed. Right. Right. And in order to get to the point of success, you have to go through failures. Like, that's just a part of the process. Now, it stings in the moment. It mm -hmm. sucks. You can alleviate that a little bit by knowing going into this and having the confidence and having the the mindfulness ahead of time to know, hey, listen, I'm taking a shot at this. I might fail at this. That'll suck. I'll feel bad about it for a little while. But I will then look on it and say, what did I learn from this? What, what is the takeaway from this? And my next attempt will be more successful. So if you go into it knowing that that's the process, even when you're down in the dumps in the immediacy of a failure, you're still, you know, you know, you're going to be successful, right? And that, that feeling of being a failure or being rejected is, is temporary. So I think failure is, is super important. And then there's something to be said for, you know, there are a lot of people who are afraid of failure, who mm -hmm. won't even take the leap. They're so scared of failure that, that they won't even get in the car and drive. Um, and, you know, if you're willing to fail, you're already ahead of the game. Right. <clears throat> This doesn't have to do specifically with failure, but it's in the same general theme of like, you have to risk heartbreak for love. It's a hundred percent right. There's, um, you can't, you know, you can, if you want, you can close yourself off and never have heartbreak. Or if you want love, you have to risk it. You have to be vulnerable. Uh, and we could do a whole hour on, you know, personally, I think vulnerability is power. Like oh, there's something God, yeah. powerful. There's something powerful about saying, you know what? I may get hurt by this, uh, but the risk of attaining love is worth it 
So I'm going to put myself out there. And if I do get hurt or do get devastated by this, it's going to suck. But I know that I will be able to claw myself back up. I will be able to pick myself back up. Like to me, there's just something so empowering about, about vulnerability. Yeah, it's, it's very beautiful. I love it. Um, I mean, but that also goes to show that like we have to teach people and people need to learn emotional resilience. If we're not teaching emotional resilience or emotional agility or mental wellness, then how do we deal with failure, heartbreak, rejection, harsh criticism? And these things aren't like necessarily taught in school and they're not necessarily taught in sports either. So we have to make it an emphasis to be able to teach young people how to understand what they're feeling, how to understand heartbreak and how to have emotional resilience to get through the tough times to lead them down to the better times. You're right. They don't teach this in schools, right? And it's so, so important. And for most people, you know, I'm generalizing maybe a little bit, but most people probably don't go down the path of learning about these things until, you know, their first big failure in life, the first big, you know, heartbreak in life. That's what kind of, you know, cracks open the door to, to learning these things. And, you know, I do wonder, you know, if we taught this in, in schools or, or maybe, you know, if there, there was a freshman seminar at every college on, you know, emotional intelligence um, and self-development, what that would look like. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that would be super valuable. I'm sure there are places that do emotional intelligence. Uh, I know in business schools and there there are, but you know I think it's something that benefits everyone. And if everybody gets it and knows it and is aware of it, you know, like the whole world becomes a better place. Then. Yeah, because I mean, it's being a human being is a tough spot. It's very complex. <laughs> you know, it's hard to navigate. Like on one end, it's so amazing that we got born. It's so amazing that we're alive and we're born because that's super rare in itself. You actually look into the numbers of like being born and being alive. It's like super rare and it's fucking incredible. But then once you are in the world, it's very complex and there's a lot of things to navigate and it's really hard. And so if we can understand a little bit about how we feel, just like slowly kind of learn some emotional resilience and this mental wellness and how to like, because we're, we're taught at an early age, you need to brush your teeth every day, you need to shower every day. Like, why are we not, why are we not teaching the same things in terms of like, okay, I had a bad day. What should I do about it? What are my self-care tips? How do I do a coping technique? Do I need to go for a walk? Should I write these things down? Like what, are, what ways work best for you? And if you're doing that for like the first 15, 16 years of your like, you know, teenage adult life, then once you get to like the really hard stuff, you know, when, I mean, it depends on how, you know, where you grew up in your environment and how much stuff you go through, but you know, you could be dealing with family member loss or, you know, not getting into the college you want or not getting the job you want or being rejected by a a friend or a family member or, you know, being dumped, your first relationship, like all these things you're going to go through, they're normal things, but you know, it takes emotional resilience to get through them and be better because of it. But, you know, we could talk about this all day, probably. <laughs> we, we could, we could, I would love to, I would love to. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, that needs, needs to be covered. And luckily there is a movement towards kind of, mental health, mindfulness, and wellness. I don't like using those three interchangeably because I think there is, you know, there's mental health and then there's kind of the mindfulness wellness kind of thing, right? Like yeah. There's one part of it that, you know, somebody who's medically trained or professionally trained to kind of help you confront. Um, 
you know, should be, that's the, the path to go down. And then there's, you know, mindfulness and wellness and um, emotional intelligence. Like, and so, so in, on that side of things, I think we definitely need to do a better job um, educating youth. I am encouraged by the fact that there is kind of this movement and global embrace of wellness and, and mental well-being on a much, much larger scale than there was you know, even five years ago that meditation apps are prevalent now, that uh, mindfulness magazines and uh, mindfulness coaching and, and podcasts are so much more prevalent now yeah. than they were five years ago. So that's super encouraging, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, I started the You Are Loved thing, like, basically in May of 2019. And even now, just a year later, like, the amount of people speaking about mental health or wanting to talk about their mental health or just like organizations being created and stuff is like far more greater than it, it was. I think a lot has to do with COVID-19 because it really put an emphasis on that there's a mental health crisis in our country because people were feeling, people who had never felt depressed before or anxiety before were feeling it during COVID-19. And there was very limited resources, especially, um, especially in communities of like lower income or minority communities, there's way less access and if there's less yeah. access, there's going to be, if you have less access to something, there's obviously going to be less people asking for it because they don't know how to get to it because there's nothing there. Like, why would I ask for something that I know is not available? You know, but if it's available and accessible and easy to get to, then more people are going to ask for it because they feel comfortable with it. They know that their friends and their peers have already gone there to ask for help. It's helped them. So now I feel comfortable doing the same. Um, but that's, you know, a healthcare topic and getting that for Every, I mean, getting that accessible and available for everyone and affordable for everyone, uh, something I can't really do by just talking about it. But talking about it helps. So maybe someone important will hear it and there'll be some reforms made. But it is what it is. Hey, fingers crossed, man. Make, make sure you register to vote and, and vote in November, especially you who live in Texas. That's right. Um, oh, yeah. I will, I will say, uh, you know, on the, the, the topic you just mentioned, uh, Scott Galloway is a professor at NYU. And he's a writer and and he's on podcasts and stuff. And he calls COVID an accelerant. So what it's done is it's accelerated a lot of trends in business and culture, uh, you know, probably 10 years faster than they otherwise would have accelerated. So I think to, you know, and he's talked about this in terms of automation and, you know, uh, people ordering stuff instead of going to retail but also in terms of mindfulness and wellness, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that uh, longing for this as a topic of conversation and culture has definitely accelerated since COVID started. Because like you said, people are in their homes and if you don't have anything to do, like what do you do? You, you start thinking all day. And so people are able to kind of confront their childhood traumas, even unwillingly maybe. Mm -hmm. And this, this need for a conversation around mindfulness and wellness has accelerated. And so it's kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's blowing up, but, but it kind of is blowing up. You know, Kevin Hart wrote an audible audio book called The Decision, which is kind of a, a wellness, mindfulness, and self-help kind of mm -hmm. audible book. And that's, you know, imagine two years ago, if I told you, hey, two years from now, Kevin Hart is going to write a, an audible originals audio book about mental health and wellness and mindfulness, you would be like, what, the, the guy, the annoying guy from those movies is gonna write this book? But he did, and it's great. 
Yeah. Uh, it's actually really well done because that's what people want to consume right now. So right. I, I think that that's accelerated is one of the, the, the benefits. I don't want to say, I don't want to say benefit, but it's one of the good things to come from, from this COVID. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know COVID is, is terrible. Like people are dying, right. They're losing their jobs, their finances, like, there's isolation, like mad, mad, bad stuff, like totally, totally bad. Right. But with everything that I, we talk about, especially in this, in this last hour that we've talked, if we got to look on the bright side of things. Right. And so that is, that you is, a have to side. Find, that is a bright side of COVID-19, you know, like, so, you know, I'm, you know, I think people are a little bit more grateful for the small things in their life. Like the things that, you know, that were taken away from them immediately. Now they just have, you know, what they have. And they're very grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the same stuff. And then, you know, we're thinking about our mental health and, and how do we, how do we be more mindful and how do we be more appreciative and, and open and empathetic? And, you know, these things are, these things take a long time to, to do. Like I'm just scratching the surface of all this stuff. Right. But I feel like I have a good grasp on it, but I'm still just scratching the surface. And now other people around the world are kind of learning the same things. So we can grow, we can grow together, but that's a good thing that came out of COVID-19 and you have to kind of find the, you have to find the light in the darkness for sure. You have to, have to, have to find the silver linings um, because, and that's not to minimize, you know, bad stuff that's happening. Right. It's just, if you don't find the silver linings, all you're focused on is the dark and that stuff will consume you. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of find the silver linings. Like there's, you know, people will say, be present, be present. And you know me, when the world is normal, I'm running around like a madman, right? It's like gym, work, wrestling, grad school, this event, that event. Like it's just like nonstop sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, the one silver lining is this is the first time where I literally will go outside and go for a walk without headphones and just kind of like look and be like, damn. This is really nice to just yeah. be in a moment for a second. And there are all kinds of studies done that show you that that is beneficial to your mental health. Like when you do that, your breathing changes, your nervous system um, activates the right type of response. And, you know, your brain releases more dopamine, which makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's definitely, if you're, Saying that I'm looking at the silver linings or I'm looking at the glass half full, you know, anyone who looks at things that way to them, I would say, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. No. You shouldn't feel uh, bad about that. You can acknowledge the darkness while still looking at the light. You, you put it, you put it perfectly. I couldn't put it better. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the, de like I talk about having positive attitude or being optimistic. That's basically the definition of, of optimism or positivity. Like if I'm eating a sandwich and I think the sandwich tastes like shit. I don't have to tell. I don't have to lie about the sandwich being not shitty. Like that's not positive. That's just like being fake. That's that's toxic positivity. That's fake happiness. Like, oh, this sandwich tastes like shit. It does. It sucks. But if I order another sandwich, this one will taste good or has the possibility to taste good. And now, boom! I've looked, I've, I'm optimistic about the future. That's the idea. Not like, oh, everything's great. Everything's grand. No, some things are absolute shit. <laughs> some things are bad. Yeah. No, and that's they're allowed to be that way. Like I've gone through a whole, the last two years of my life. Some days are some of, I mean, I've gone through some of the worst shit that I'll ever go through in my life, but we can come out on the other side of it. You know, we can, it's possible. Uh, and that's exactly what can happen right now with COVID-19 and, and, and the Black Lives Matter. Like 
what's happening right now is necessary, but we can come out and be better for it and be better because of it and all these things. So like, that's what optimism means. I feel like you feel the same way. Um, but you can expand on that if you'd like. I, I think I would just say, you know, if there was one line to, to some of my view of optimism, it's just think of the possibilities because our brains are wired in such a way that, and this is evolution and this is survival where when it comes to what you're feeling in the moment and even the possibilities, you always focus on the negative, right? Because, you know, back in the day, the negative is what you needed to avoid because if you didn't avoid it, the negative would kill you, right? Now we live, a lot of us are blessed to live in a time where that's not true, right? But we are still ingrained, it's still ingrained in us to err on the side of negativity. So, you know, just to give an example, I was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, just had his girlfriend break up with him or she ghosted him or, or whatever. It didn't work out. Um, and he couldn't figure out why. And, oh, my God, I'm never going to find somebody. I'm never going to love somebody. Like, I'll never find anybody that's pretty. I'll never find anybody as, as this or that. And I was like, dude, right now, you're in pain. That's fine. Feel that way. But eventually, you need to realize, like, think of the possibilities, right? Like, this one person, it sucks. It's miserable. We've all been there. There's 7 billion people on the planet. <laughs> 7 billion. You don't think that there is one person who will find one other person who will find your presence tolerable and your appearance inoffensive. Like, come on. Come yeah. fucking on. So, so I, I say that example just to reiterate. You have to always think of the possibilities. You know, I said this when I was recording my first my first episode of, of my my show don't just think about what can go wrong think about all the ways that it can go right yes um, because Brilliant. when you do that you will feel better you will manifest the outcome and when you feel better and are manifesting that you're more likely to do the work that is going to put you in a position to obtain one of those possibilities right as opposed to being down in the dumps and feeling sad and, and feeling upset and kind of you know, um, uh, circling in this, in this vicious circle of, of sadness. So, you know, one takeaway, think of the possibilities. Don't think about what can go wrong. Think about all the ways that it can go right. I love that. Think of the possibilities. Beautiful. All right. So we got one more topic to discuss before we, uh, talk about your upcoming podcast and then have some closing thoughts. But so I've been, I've been diving into the, the concept of ego a little bit because it's very interesting. So I want to know what you feel like is the difference between ego, ego slash arrogance slash self-confidence. Like what the difference between ego and self-confidence is. Like what your take is. So this is one of my favorite things because especially really? in the world of, of independent wrestling, yes, right? Like yes, there's yes. this fine line between confidence and arrogance and people will go, oh, that Nick, I don't like him. He's kind of a, He's kind of an arrogant douche or, you know, he thinks he's better than everybody. So, so here's the thing. Confidence to me is knowing what you know and then knowing what you don't know. It's having done preparation and done the work to succeed at something and feeling good about the end result being likely to occur. So a great example is you have a chemistry test coming up. You studied really, really hard for the chemistry test. 
you've done a bunch of practice tests for it. You killed the, the practice test. You got like nine out of 10 in all the practice tests. The day you walk into that room to take that chemistry exam, you're feeling like a million bucks. You feel strong. You're ready to go. The paper gets set down on your desk. You look at the questions and you're like, I fucking got this. To me, that's confidence. Yeah, for sure. Arrogance is not having done the prep work and thinking you're going to get this outcome. Arrogance is going to a place, failing, and then not being willing to evaluate that failure, learn from it, because you're too stubborn to admit that you were wrong or admit that you didn't do the work, and you're too stubborn to hold yourself accountable. Real, true confidence comes from accountability. Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, douche bro, egotistical confidence, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about having done the work, having done real the confidence. preparation. Yeah. Yes, it's the kind of confidence that when it's real, it comes from within. You cannot fake it. You cannot act confident. You just are. Uh, and the people who are the most confident in that space give two fucks about what other people think, about whether they appear to be confident or not, because they know themselves and they know that they are where they're supposed to be. Um, so to me, that's the difference between confidence and, and arrogance. Spot on. It's brilliant. <laughs> don't, 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 don't keep it coming. My head's going to, my head's going to blow up. Yeah. I, I always bring it like when this, when this, this comes up, I always bring it back to like super elite professional athletes because from a fan's perspective, right? There's someone who's never, who's never played at that level. Right. And that's no knock on them. That's just, they never got to that level because it's extremely hard. Very rare amount of people get to the elite level status of being a professional athlete. And so when you see them on TV or you see them on the internet or you see them post game, it a bit looks like they have a bit of arrogance or ego to them. Like someone like LeBron James. But for him, that's just his natural aura of self-confidence. Like, cause he wakes up every single day knowing that he's the best basketball player in the world today. And he's done the work. He's put in the hours. And so he knows that. And, uh, and so there's like, there's a fine line between in that regard, between like arrogance, because you have to have a little bit when you're surrounded by other elite athletes in a field like that. To know that your shit doesn't stink, you're better than everyone else. But you also put in the real work in the gym, in the weight room, you know, with your mindfulness, with visualization, all these things. So that fine balance is hard because some fans will just be like, ah, oh, why don't you like LeBron? Ah, you know, he's, he's, he, he's arrogant. Well, I mean, maybe he is, but also it's warranted because of who he is and like what he's done. But in terms of like, you know, everyday life, people like that, what you said is, is, is spot on. And I, I think with LeBron and with these pro athletes, that's a great example because even in, in their worlds, and even in just the office world, right, results matter. And you're confident when you have done the work and have proven time after time that you can show results. So if you, if we went back to 1995 or 1996 and we interviewed Michael Jordan and we said, hey, Michael, are you the best basketball player on the planet? And the cameras were rolling. 
he would probably laugh and, you know, say something charming because that's Michael. He would go, oh, you know, I, I don't want to get into this, you know, who's the best or who's not the best. Or, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm really prepared and focused on winning this game. And, you know, we need to execute our game plan and we need to make sure that we do what it takes to win because we're playing a very good basketball team, right? That, that's what he would say. Now turn the cameras off. Take everybody out of the room. And it's just you and Mike. And you're under lock and key and you're never going to be able to repeat what he says. Because he hands you $20 million and says, if you repeat this again, I will take this and every cent you'll ever own for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you ask him, Michael, are you the best basketball player on the planet? He's going to look you dead in the eyes and say, you better fucking believe him. Because he's done the work. And the thing is, if he doesn't believe it, nobody else will. Right. That's something that people can sense. So... For the people who are listening, if you don't believe that you can do something, if you don't believe that you're deserving of something, if you don't believe that you can accomplish something, nobody else will. And people will sense that insecurity and sense that lack of confidence. And they're like sharks that smell blood just subconsciously. So you got to believe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing with like pro athletes is like we're obviously we obviously don't know them as people like we obviously don't live with them at home. We're not hanging out with them. We're not chilling on the boat with them, you know, when they're away from the game with their family, like, and I would just, I mean, from what I see on social media, LeBron seems like just like a cool level headed dude. Like I like, I'm a huge fan of LeBron. So like, I think he's amazing. Um, and so, you know, he is amazing. but like, you know, it's, it's the same with like a pro wrestler, like who we are in the ring and how confident and competitive I am in the ring because I, that's who I am as a person. Like I'm competitive and I want to win regardless if the outcome is fixed or not. I want to do the absolute best I can because I'm a competitive person. I want to be the best fucking independent professional wrestler on the planet. But when you just hang out with me outside of the show or like we're just going to get a, a beer or something, yeah, I'm, it's cool. We're chilling. I'm just like, you know, I'm this level-headed guy. You know, sometimes I get fired up because, you know, certain topics fire me up, but it is what it is. <sighs> But I think that's, you know, that's the, you know, that's the vibe right there. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I had something else. What was I going to say? I feel like I missed it. Uh, okay. Um, let's talk about your podcast that you're going to come out with soon. So this is What's something. Called, that... What inspired it? So it's right now it's titled Self-Awareness Bro. Um, B-R-U-H. I had to come up yeah, with a, a good name and I wasn't, I wasn't sure what to come up with. And I was like, Hey, this, this plays, you know, I, part of this was the COVID thing, right? Because I yeah. have a lot of energy, a lot of creative energy and, you know, wrestling basically got put on hold and I was like, all right, well, I can't do that. You know, I was going to be doing this modeling thing and that kind of got put on hold too. Yeah. Um, and so I went, all right, so what can I do now? What can I actively do right now? And I, you know, you kind of know me a little bit to know that I do have this passion for kind of self-awareness and mm -hmm. self-development and, you know, living your, you know, not to, not to sound like a cliche, but like hashtag living your best life, but actually doing it right. Not right. like just posting the, the pretty, pretty pictures. Yeah. Not so thought, well, what can I do? Right. Exactly. Um, and so I was like, well, what can I do and where do I fit? And, you know, there is, there are some great, you know, self development self-love podcasts out there that exist right now at very high levels you know like there's jay shetty there's there's a, a bunch of them. but 
the thing is a lot of them are first of all a lot of them are geared towards women which is great because that's a, a population that definitely needs um you know is looking for that and you know connects with that and that's great but there isn't necessarily one that connects to the more masculine energy that's out there right like there are a lot of people who right the dudes the dude bros there are people and they're some of the people who need to hear this more than anyone else for sure yeah we just talked about that earlier yeah but they kind of see jay shetty or they see like some hipster looking dude giving them this info and they're like why am i gonna listen to this guy well sometimes it's the messenger and not the message so i'm like Mm. "Mm, six three two forty muscles Maybe I'm the guy to do this. So I started kind of laying out some topics and I put together a show where every, you know, show is going to be a topic. So confidence, failure, rejection, uh, the suck, you know, there's, there's a whole list of topics uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a pep talk and then I'm going to give you a tangible exercise that you can do. And it's got to be something you write down. So you get out your pen, you get out your paper and you go through this exercise and then I've got an interview. So yeah, there you go. See, you're you can you can't you can't see it, listeners, but he's holding up his pen and and and, and pad. Uh, and then there's a segment where I'll be interviewing someone from my life, be they a wrestler, an attorney, somebody I've met through uh, the brand development world at Columbia, um, uh, uh, somebody I've grown up with or worked with, where their story kind of connects that topic and the lessons in that topic. And so you can see how this kind of plays out in just day-to-day life or among elite athletes or among lawyers or, or whoever you want. So I think it's, it's something that's very unique. I was trying to find, you know, the thing with podcasting, you know, this is there's so many podcasts out there right now. And if you want to be successful, you need to kind of find your niche. You need to find Mm -hmm. where you fit. Uh, And so I think, you know, the dude bros who, need someone to listen to who need to hear these things about emotions and self-improvement and self-awareness to be, you know, better boyfriends and be better employees and better brothers and better fathers as they get older. I think that's where I fit. So that's, that's kind of what I'm putting together. I will say this had started as a podcast initially, um, but I don't know that that's where it's going to end up. Uh, recorded a few episodes i haven't gone live yet it's we're planning to go live a month from now but i it it may end up being an audible originals um you know scripted kind of audiobook instead we'll see we'll see what ends up happening um but i think it's something that you know if it does launch i think a lot of people who listen to your show and find it useful those dude bros will find this show valuable too yeah um First of all, love it. Definitely going to listen. Would like to be on it. Um, you, anyway, you know you can be on it. You know you can be on it. But I think I think the most important thing you said was it may not be the message, but it may be the messenger. And I think that is incredibly powerful for do for men because like Russell Brand has a podcast, right? We know Russell Brand. Um, he's a huge comedian, actor, whatever, and then he became a drug addict. Um, then he became a drug addict and then he went through this self 12 step recovery. And now he's like on this spiritual awakening journey. Um, and his podcast is brilliant. But if you're not into like someone who's spiritual, kind of a hippie, like I vibe with it because I'm much more spiritual than I used to be. And which is cool. Also religious at the same time. 
you know, believe in something. Um, but he looks different, right? He's wearing like robes. He's got long necklaces. He's kind of just chilling all the time. And for someone maybe who like, you know, who's similar to yourself, who goes to the gym all the time, you know, who works in a, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know if law- I don't think lawyers well, call, call, them, call them finance bros, the finance yeah. bros, right? But that's who we're they're not, they're not gonna fuck with someone like that, you know. That's not they're not on the same vibe, they're not on the same wavelength. So even if Russell is saying stuff that's powerful and they connect with, it might not really resonate as deeply as with someone who looks similar to them or is on the same wave as them, just like yourself. Someone six four, two hundred and fifty pounds is a dude, bro but also is connecting with his inner side and unpacking and unraveling the things that are going on internally. So I think that what you said is, is brilliant. I think there's, I think there's something there, Jax. I really do. That's why, that's why I'm so passionate about it. That's why I'm outlining episode after episode after episode. We're recording them in the tank. We've got ad breaks. It's uh, it's a whole thing. I want, I want it to be good. That's, that's my other thing. You know, we talked about this work ethic at the beginning of the show. If I'm going to do this, it's going to be good. Yeah. Um, and if it's not good, I'm not going to want to do it. If it's not something that I can, you know, turn around and sell to Spotify or an Audible or a Vox Media or, you know, one of these content companies that are all looking for podcast content, because the reality is, you know, right now everything's frozen. There are no new TV shows coming out. The only content that can be really created right now is podcast content. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these these tech companies and a lot of these media companies are looking for podcast content. So if this is not something that's high enough quality that I can sell to them, I don't want to do it because then it's not high enough quality for, for listeners either. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I started. Uh, I mean, originally this, this show, Jackson Talks, everybody, was just a YouTube platform. I was just going to record and put it on YouTube. Um, but then it turned into me putting it on Apple and Spotify. Um, but I like having the visual YouTube content, you know, because people want to people want to look at something too when they digest this content. So I think being able to put it on a bunch of different platforms is cool. Um, but fun, also, fun fact: I'll let, let, let me interrupt you real quick. Just side yeah. detour. I think that Spotify has started with a lot of their original content. If you open the app and stream a podcast, if you keep the screen on, you'll see the audio of or the video of the people talking in their studio now, instead of just seeing the podcast logo. So there is a pivot to kind of, even though we're a podcast audio content company, we want to also have this video content component in a time when there is no new video content coming out. So you're ahead of the game by continuing to kind of have this this video component. It's the same thing. Uh, I, I noticed that with music, like if there's a music video related to the song, it's playing in the background of the. And I was like, oh, that's super dope. I love this. I like caught myself just like watching the Spotify screen on my phone, but just music's playing. It's like the whole music. It was cool. Um, but all, um, in terms of you starting your podcast and you want it to be like super good right away, um, like and having the best quality audio and things like that, I'm I'm more on the side of like. If I have an idea, I'm just going to start it and I'm just going to do it. I don't really, because I like, I've looked back at like my old episodes or some of my old videos and obviously that like the quality is shit. I didn't have any microphones. There was no logo. There was no logo, like nothing. But I'm, I'm big into like seeing the kind of the progression of how the, the episodes and the way it worked evolved. Um, so I have, if I have an idea, like I'm just going to like start it and I don't really, 
I don't feel bad if it's like super whack at the beginning because I'm like the experience is like feeding my soul and allowing me to like work out the kinks and make it better. But I want people to see those kinks and I want people to see me working that stuff out in real time so that the things I talk about in terms of like working through the hard stuff is like it's seen and heard through my actions and not just like, all right, he started this podcast because you know, he had all the tools and resources and now he has got a million, like when famous people start a podcast, of course you have a million views already, bro. You're already famous. Like whatever. What's up? <laughs> I'm out of your grinding. I'm grinding for views, but I wanted to have that vibe and that feel, um, with this show at least. Um, and I had to delete a bunch of episodes cause a lot of people on the previous episodes were associated with speaking out and I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. I wanted to start fresh and, and really try to make a change with this podcast. And I think the last few episodes have been better. I'm, I'm kind of happy with where it's going now. So like we've been talking about, you got to make those pivots and got to be open to whatever kind of life throws at you. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head too. And I'm sure you know, this is you have to take action, right? It's like, it's, it's very easy to get caught up in this, like, Oh, well, here's what I need to do before I start. Here's what I need to do before I can take the first step. And a lot of times it's like, you know what? Don't worry about all the things you have to do. Don't worry about making the lists. Just fucking take the first step, right? Just take the first step because most people never take that first actionable step. They talk about it. They think about it. They plan for it, but they never actually do it. Yeah. Um, so I think you're to be commended for saying, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Um, for me, I made a commitment of buying a microphone and getting this equipment and getting some of the audio editing software because I said to myself, you know what, if I spend this money on this, now I'm going to have to do it. So that's my action. Even if I haven't right. put it out there yet, my action is spending all this money on this stuff, outlining it, putting it together. Um, but but if you don't take that first step, you'll you'll never like you can't run if you don't take the first step to start walking. Right. Yeah. I always say you can't you can't fly if you don't jump. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Um, do you have an idea of when you, when you might drop the episode or it's still in kind of in limbo? Well, I tell you what, so unfortunately for the listeners here, what I will do is I will send you, uh, one or two of the episodes that I've got in the tank, uh, and you can listen to it and then you can tell people about it if you want. But, yeah. um, for, for the general, general public, we're, what are we, mid July now? It's probably yeah. going to be mid, mid August before it comes out because I'm, okay. uh, there's one one big thing I want to do, and there's one big guest that I'm trying to get, um, who I'm trying to make sure that he's free. Um, but things are a little crazy down in down in Orlando for him right now. But understood. We'll, we'll understood. Yeah, today's July 16th. Um, this episode will probably drop in two weeks for me because um, I'm trying to film every Thursday a week in advance from when I drop the episodes on Tuesday. Cool. Uh, but before okay. we go, I, I want to ask you about one thing. Um, just give me your quick thoughts on, uh, on Richard Holiday. <laughs> uh, well, so let me give you, let me give you some thoughts on, on, on two people. Uh, first, okay. let me talk about Richard Holiday. Yes. Uh, unfiltered. I think Richard Holiday is a good professional wrestler. Um, I, you know, me, my standards for that are pretty high. For sure. uh, I think Holiday is a good pro wrestler who gets it. Uh, sadly, he's not as athletic as me. He's not as strong or explosive. Uh, he's not as smooth. Uh, he's a great talker. I, I enjoy hearing him talk. Anytime I've wrestled him, I've enjoyed it. 
and I think that honestly, all joking aside, I think he has so much potential as an in-ring talent. Uh, the second person I want to talk about is my buddy Joe. Uh, Joe is a great guy, mm-hmm. very self-aware, very open, um, very clear in his goals, cares about his family, cares about his friends. Uh, and I'm glad that that Joey is is one of my closest friends um, right now. Yeah, man, that's something I really, uh, really admire about him, man. He's he t- he's taking care of his family, like, and that's one of his that's like his number one priority. Like, he just puts in so much effort and so much work. And uh, he's he's a, he's he's a great dude. That's all. Yeah, um, he's he, a great dude, like Richard an actual Mello, great yeah. dude. There's yeah. so many people in wrestling who are like, oh, he's a good guy, or this guy's a good guy. And, you know, I, I hate to, to sound cliche, but like the large majority of them, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but he is just genuinely a good dude and a good yeah. human being. Yeah. I've never wrestled him one-on-one, but we've uh, we've teamed together twice as, uh, as Lights Camera Marketing, which is an incredible tag team that is no longer... <laughs> No I know. I was so disappointed when I first saw that. I saw that years ago. I think yeah. it was at, at in in that Rhode Island place. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's brilliant! I love that!" And like, that's a great name. You guys have a great look together. I was like, I can't wait till they till they kind of start doing this more. And Devin and I were tagging at the time, and I was like, "Oh, that's a great matchup! Like the industry versus lights camera marketing." And yeah. then it was gone. <laughs> yeah, because you know, I dropped I dropped lights camera Jackson because that whole thing was not my vibe anymore. Um, and he, well, you can tell the truth because super... you got a haircut. Yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> why. No long hair, no lights, camera Jackson. This is just a regular old dude with short hair. Um, but you know, he's uh, he's by far my favorite part of MLW. I don't watch the product regularly because I won't talk about that here. Um, but I do watch what Richard does and what Jordan Oliver does. Um, I think Hammerstone's dope too. Um, yeah, Alex. I was gonna say Alex is my guy. He's another. He's another great guy. I wrestled him a bunch of times, and we. I would love to wrestle him again once this this kind of calms down. Yeah. Um, because I he's just one of the guys that you know you just have chemistry sometimes sure. with somebody, and it was one of those things where we would just call something on the fly, and it would be us calling the same exact thing in the same exact moment. Beautiful, um, love he that. Would, he would kind of be like you know. Uh, Reverse, duck this, blah, blah, blah. And I would be like, reverse. Oh, okay. Yeah, same thing. All right, cool. Like, and then you're hitting that mad drop kick or that German or what? Uh, bro, that's that's what I – come on. You got to brand it. You got to brand it. It's the drop kick. And then, you know, the German is called the deep cut. We got we to gotta brand it. You know, everything no, I, is yes. by a branded name. <laughs> Don't worry. I know. Everything about my brand has to do with everybody. So <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're at, uh, you know, I'll be at indie shows and people will be like, yeah, I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, Mick, can you take this, blah, blah, blah. And they'll write off some like crazy name on something. And, and you know, they'll, they're like, oh, I'm like, what is that? I've never heard of that. And they're like, oh, it's like a Yurnagi time spinning. Bo-. I'm like, dude, just say rock bottom. Like, just say rock bottom. You don't have to tell me the crazy Japanese Mexican name for it. Like, just tell me you want me to take a rock bottom or a stunner or a diamond cutter or a tail or like, just use the WWE name for Christ's sake. Yeah, I don't care what you tell uh, announcers or commentators. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Just tell yeah. me. You know, so. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, man, we talked for it's an hour and thirty minutes right here. Ah, uh, it's easy, easy, man. I could, I told you, I could talk all day, all day long, but especially about myself. I love it. I love it. It was good. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you doing this. 
dude of course thank you i'm so i'm so happy to be here man like and i'm so yeah. happy to see all the stuff that you're doing like it's so motivating to me too you know oh thank you thank you i'm just happy to see your face and still pretty <sighs> well that's that's not gonna change i promise you that um i have been comfortable without the beard for a while though now it looks so. good dude it's fresh it looks really good you know, I uh, I look in the mirror and I'm like, who is this? You know, you forget what you look like without a beard once when you shave it for the first time. Yeah, no, totally. So I, was just, I was just like looking in the mirror and I was like, oh, that's what I look like. Okay. You got like, like some cheekbones, some jaw structure, man. It's got a little yeah, bit I know, I know, I know. I look 10 years younger, right? I mean, I don't think you looked old before. Uh, we're, all, we're all getting there. Don't worry. We're all getting there. Only better with age, my friend. That's how I look at it. That's how I look at it. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep me posted if, uh, if you need anything from here. And I will, I will text you, actually, if you want to listen to uh, one or two of the episodes that I've done. And yeah, let I know do. what you think, I'll, I'll send it to you. And then just you know, listen to it whenever you're free and let me know what you think. Yes, please. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it, buddy. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.